Well, hi, Gresham Bible Church. Great to see everybody today. Great to see all the children in service with us. Before we get started, I have a challenge for you. Maybe some of you kids will be motivated by this. Maybe some of you won't, but I got to give it a shot. If you can tell me how many times I use the phrase one another in the sermon today, you will get a prize. So maybe get out a little piece of paper from your mom or dad, maybe in the chair in front of you. Give me the number, how many times, and this is your prize. Anthony Perez, I'm sorry I didn't run this by you first, but I will buy enough water balloons on August 28th that you get to throw water balloons at Anthony if you get the right number of love one another's. Okay, do we have a deal? Okay, so count how many times I say one another in the message today, and what I just said doesn't count. It's go from here on out. All right. Uh, Like Dan prayed as a service leader for us, this is our last Sunday together as Gresham Bible Church meeting here at Mountain View. So good afternoon, the last time you'll hear a preacher say that. And I'm so glad and excited and looking forward to Dexter, even with all the stress that that entails moving, right? For those of you who have moved, you know it's stress, but it's good. So we're getting ready to move. Um, And I want to publicly, right before we start, thank Mountain View as well and Pastor Tom for their hospitality, for their generosity, just for the joy with which they've welcomed Gresham Bible Church uh, to meet here, for how great they are to work with, uh, that they're for the Big C Church in and around Gresham. So thank you, Mountain View, and thank you, Pastor Tom. All right, well, our message today is going to be from John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. So if you haven't already, please make your way there. John chapter 13, starting in verse 31. And today we're continuing our One Another series where we look at different passages in Scripture to see how the gospel applies to the day-to-day life of an individual Christian and the normal rhythms of life as God's gathered people as the church. So we're going to be looking specifically at the love one another command in John chapter 13. And we're going to see how important this love one another command is, what the foundation of it is, and why it matters. And as I've been reflecting on that, I was wondering, I want to throw something out to you. Have you ever had a time in your life where you kind of wait and see if someone really is who they say they are, right? Yeah, see some heads nodding. Maybe someone says something, hey, I'm such and such, and you're like, all right, we'll see. We'll see what your actions say. That's what we're going to see here in our text today. We're going to see there's a distinguishing mark for Jesus followers. You say you're a Jesus follower, this thing should be true of you. So for me, what comes to mind is we love each other. We're an open, transparent church family, so I'm going to embarrass myself here for a minute. Here we go. What comes to mind for me is I learned the distinction between being a mountain biker and liking mountain biking. Here's what this means, why I thought I was one thing, but the, the distinguishing remark said something else altogether. So in high school, I grew up up in Spokane, Washington, lots of fun places to go mountain biking. Some buddies and I were up on Mount Spokane for a day. We came back. We were feeling like, man, we got this mountain biking thing dialed in, right? We were feeling really good, really accomplished. So one of my buddies says, hey, I have a great idea. We're high school boys. Let's build a huge ramp in my parents' front yard and do a bunch of air tricks off this ramp. Like, yeah, I'm a mountain biker. Let's do this, right? That's what I was thinking. 
Well, that's not exactly how it played out. So my two friends, they go off this, I mean, this pretty big jump, and they're like kicking their tire out and doing all this stuff. I'm like, oh, they're mountain bikers. So am I. I can do this, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm in. So I get a bunch of speed and come up to the jump, and I, I go off the jump, and the moment of truth arrives. I like mountain biking, but I'm not a mountain biker because I didn't know how to stick a landing that high let alone like kick my tire out in a cool kind of way, right? And then on top of it, for whatever reason, I forgot to put my helmet on. So I wreck and I leave a divot, no joke, a divot in my friend's front yard in the dirt from my huge awkwardly shaped head that doesn't have a helmet. I wreck my bike and I wreck my head. I come away with a concussion and a wrecked mountain bike. The reason I share this with you the distinguishing mark for a mountain biker is that he or she would have known how to approach that situation. I only like mountain biking. I had no clue. So I had to learn the hard way of what a distinguishing mark is. And we're going to see that again here in our text in John chapter 13. It's going to highlight what the distinguishing mark is for those who claim the name of Jesus. So before we get started, please bow your head with me and let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. We all come here today bringing so many things with us. Father, quiet our noisy hearts and fix our eyes on Jesus and his great love. Father, we need to hear from you today. Give us hearts to confess and repent and believe. Open your word to us and open us to your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hopefully your Bible is open in front of you. I'm going to read John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. So put your finger on the text and follow along with me. Verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we're going to consider three movements in the text together today. First is, as I have loved you, Second is the response, love one another. And then third is by this, all people will know. So first, as I have loved you, look down at verse 34. Jesus tells his disciples he's giving them a new commandment. And what is this new commandment? That you love one another just as I have loved you, Jesus says. But that should give you pause Hasn't there already been a commandment given in Scripture to love one another? All the way back in Leviticus, back in the Old Testament, chapter 19, verse 18, calls God's people to love their neighbors as themselves. So how could this commandment of Jesus be something new? And in order to answer that, we have to really get and see the context of John chapter 13. Notice two key words in verse 31. When and now. That's going to answer our question, how is this commandment new? 
So the setting here, Jesus and, and his disciples are together in the upper room. Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet, and they'd eaten the Last Supper together. Jesus knows he's going to be crucified within hours, right? Then, right before our text, right before verse 31, Judas is revealed to be the traitor. He's going to betray Jesus, and he leaves, okay? So the when that starts our text in verse 31, when he had gone out, that's talking about Judas, when the betrayer went out from Jesus and the other disciples. And then second, what's Jesus say right after that in verse 31? Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. Right after this, when Judas is revealed to be the traitor, Jesus says, now I, the Son of Man, am glorified. That helps frame where we're going in our text. That's the backdrop you need to have in your mind. Because right in this moment, when one of his disciples, who's been with him the whole time, right? Right when this disciple is revealed to be a traitor, to betray him, now is when Jesus said he's going to be glorified. Think about the emotions happening in that room with the other disciples. One of us is going to betray him and he leaves. And then Jesus starts to say that, yeah, and where I'm going, you can't come. I'm going to be leaving you. And in this moment, Jesus says, now he is glorified. How does Jesus address them in this moment? He calls them little children. And that's the only place, as I was studying for this text, that's the only place in the New Testament where that word that's translated two words in English, little children, is used. So think of that moment. Jesus says, now I'm going to be glorified. The betrayal's kicking it off. My betrayal, the trial, his death, Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, all of it, he's going to be glorified. And he calls his disciples little children to help calm their fears here in this moment. This amazing scene that's happening here. And if that's not strong enough of a setting for this new commandment Jesus is going to give us here in verse 34, look again, verses 31 through 33. The idea of glory is repeated five different times in a few short verses. So Jesus is saying, now I'm going to be glorified. At the cross, I'm going to be glorified. Jesus is saying he will shine with the greatest glory and that God is going to be glorified again in this betrayal, in his humiliation, in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. It's like Jesus here, right before this new commandment, it's like he's peeling back all the curtains of reality and he's letting you peek into what true reality is. It's like the epicenter or the center of reality is God's glory being most displayed at the cross. That's what's happening here. And then look at how Jesus talks about this in verses 31 through 33, right? He talks about it like it's already happened. It's so certain that he's on his way to the cross, that he's going to die, right? The death each of us deserve as sinners, and then to rise from the dead and then be ascended as king that's also certain he's talking about it in an already accomplished whole here so in all of this from his betrayal trial death resurrection and ascension jesus is saying he's going to be glorified so the glory of god in the cross is teeing up this new commandment to love one another so again how is this commandment new it's new because of how Jesus' followers are to love one another. 
because of why. This commandment is new because it's a command to love one another just as Jesus has loved us. The command is new because of the cross. The command is to love one another in a way that's shaped like the cross, that's marked by self-sacrifice, that's marked by a costly price of this kind of love. It's visible. It's demonstrated. That's what's happening here for the backdrop of this new commandment to love one another. Again, this argument in our passage to love one another, it's because it's a cross-shaped kind of love. That's why this new commandment is new. So, for example, John, you know, who's writing this for us here, and John later on, a lot of you know, he, he writes three different epistles, right? And then actually Revelation. It's like he never got over this moment. First John is basically him expounding on this new commandment. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. So the command to love one another is new, because of the degree of the sacrifice Jesus is offering here. And John never, ever got over this moment. Jesus' command is new because the Son of God had never come before to offer himself as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. So when the glory and the love of Jesus gets a hold of your heart, Jesus is saying, this is what you have to have click in order to see where we're going to go in verse 34, that this is a new commandment. So as I was thinking about this, there's lots of different things that could come to mind, but um, many of you know who John Newton is. Kids, who, who knows who John Newton is? Anybody? Paxton, you get an extra water balloon at Anthony. John Newton, he, he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, right? And he, for those of you that know his story, he was a slaveholder, right? A really bad dude. And then the love of Jesus breaks into his life, gets a hold of him, and he's never, ever the same. So about the glory and the wonder of the love of Jesus, of this new commandment, John Newton said this. There should be a slide. The love of God as manifested in Jesus Christ is what I would wish to be the abiding object of my contemplation. Not merely to speculate upon it as a doctrine, but so to feel it and my own interest in it as to have my heart filled with its effects and transformed into its resemblance. Spend time reading that and meditating on that quote. It's not just a check-the-box doctrine. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, is saying you can never, ever get over God's love. He wants to live into that. That's the tone and the, the taste we should have here in our text in John chapter 13. And that it's in this view of this kind of love Jesus is pointing us to that's going to bring us to our second point today, and that's love one another. So look again at verse 34. What's it say? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So unfortunately, sometimes that command, this new command Jesus is giving, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in like a thrift shop, or maybe like some artsy place that maybe my wife loves and I don't. I'm checking my fantasy football score on my phone. There can be signs with hashtags or beautiful calligraphy that says love one another, which is great, right? Like that's cool stuff. This is a new commandment here. 
But if it is unplugged and unhinged from its context, it has no power and it's meaningless. You cannot fulfill the new commandment and love one another, love other Christians without you being connected to the power source of the cross of Jesus. This has no meaning outside of the gospel. This new commandment to love one another, it's not just an inspirational saying that makes you feel warm and fuzzy and that you can hashtag, okay? That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying in view of my upcoming death for sinners, love one another. That's what's happening here in our text. What Jesus is commanding here for his followers, this is the immediate context, is to his disciples, but the implication is for all who would trust and follow Jesus, all future disciples of Jesus. Jesus is commanding here, we're to love others out of that love because we're in him. It's nothing that you can do in and of yourself. It's his love flowing through you because you're in him because of the cross. So that's the dynamic that's happening here for this new commandment for us to love one another. And you know what's amazing about this commandment? Again, it's not just a commandment or a doctrinal truth you put up on the shelf. I think many of us in this room have experienced this with one another. We experience the love of Jesus through the one anothering we do as a church family. It's a real tangible thing for Christ followers. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says this, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So on this side of the cross, we look back, we love as Jesus loved because we love with his love that's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Like this is amazing. The only way to really fulfill the new commandment of Jesus is to be plugged into Jesus. It's to be in him through the cross. So we're, we're hearing parts of this. There's so much here. We're trying to get little, kind of like a rock skipping across the water, okay? But then where's the focus of this kind of love? It says it's for one another. So who are we being commanded by Jesus to love? Again, Jesus is commanding his disciples. And think about that ragtag group of people. What drew them together? It was Jesus. It was nothing else. Different socioeconomic status, different political interests, different vocations, station in life, different personalities, all of it. Jesus is saying to the disciples, my new commandment is you love one another, and by extension, all who will follow me, the new commandment is to love one another. So the focus of this kind of love is to fellow Christ followers. Jesus' new command is to love fellow Christ followers with this kind of love. But again, this is probably like playing with us in different ways, but I thought we were called, even Jesus back in Mark 12, we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. Isn't that true too? Yes, it is true. But what we're seeing here in John 13, he's, Jesus isn't commanding us not to love our neighbor, not to love the world. He's saying you, have, you should have a special kind of love for fellow disciples of Jesus. So you're not loving the world less, you're loving fellow Christ followers more. Whoa, that's what's happening here in the upper room that Jesus is walking us through. So I'm curious, how's that sit with you? 
would you say you have a special love for fellow Christians? In your heart of hearts, would you say, yeah, that's true, thinking about it. I have a special kind of love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you say that that's a distinguishing mark in your life? Remember, I thought I was a mountain biker. I only like mountain biking. The distinguishing mark made all the difference. Do you have a distinguishing mark in your life that you really truly love fellow Christ followers with this special kind of love? And when we think about this, whoa, okay, it brings up a few things or categories or definitions we have to have in our mind to really live into this. And Jesus' command cuts two different ways, and I want to make sure we have this as a takeaway or we're missing it. So this implies that we have to be able to distinguish who these one another's are we're supposed to love. Who are the fellow Christ followers? And then we also need to make sure that our special kind of love doesn't exclude any of those who are Christ followers. Are you seeing what Jesus is saying? Command to love one another, fellow Christ followers. You have to know who they are, right? And then you have to know that who they are so you don't miss any of them with this special kind of love. And again, there's a lot more that we could say about this, but think about it in two different ways. So this special kind of love, it's supposed to be exclusive, and then it's supposed to be expansive. So what I mean by exclusive is that it implies you're to love one another. These fellow Christ followers are those that have believed in Jesus, that are disciples of Jesus. That's who he's saying you're to love. Those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There are uh, territorial marks in this, in who we're to love one another. It's fellow Christ followers. So when you think about that, not all who claim the name of Christian are actually Christian. And that, that should give us all pause. None of us should like that or want to acknowledge that reality, but it's true. Not all who say they're Christians are actually Christians. If you're to love one another, you have to know who are those one another. So it's exclusive. It's by the gospel of Jesus Christ that we know who these Christians are. It's to love those who are grounded in the once for all time grace and truth of the gospel. And then, so you think about that, and the pendulum could kind of swing, and maybe you like draw your line super, 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 super tight just to make sure, right? Maybe you have to like, the only people I know who, who are actually Christians are those that dress this certain way or only read this uh, translation of scripture, you know, we could go down that path. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's those who profess faith in the gospel. But then on the other side, so pendulum could go too far this way, pendulum could also go too far the other way. We're also to love in an expansive kind of way, right? So this doesn't mean you only love Christians who are just like you. This means you are called, the new commandment of Jesus applies to all of his followers once for all time, for all of those who worship Jesus. So this means you're called to love with a special kind of love Christians who maybe don't look like you, maybe who don't have the same musical preferences as you, maybe who aren't the same age as you, who are in a different socioeconomic status, all of it. We're supposed to love the other disciples of Jesus. Like this new commandment should get inside of us and kind of rearrange the furniture in our hearts. 
We're to love all Christians with this kind of love, Jesus is saying. Not just the Christians that you like, not just the Christians you can get something from. We're to love all Christians because Jesus gave his life on the cross for them. That's what's happening here in, in this new commandment. It's nothing more and nothing less than it's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in view of Jesus' command that we're to love one another just as he has loved us, we have to ask, what does this special kind of love look like, right? So we've seen who we're supposed to love, that it's in view of Jesus' death on the cross, the special kind of love is a gospel love. Well, what does that actually look like? Well, when you think about the setting here, again, Jesus has the cross in view. Couldn't we all agree the special kind of love should be marked by a love that's sacrificial, that's costly, that's observable, that's demonstrated, okay? That's the essence of this kind of love Jesus is showing us here. And I don't know about you, but as, again, as I've been reflecting on this, we want to be a church that doesn't just hear God's word and it's in one ear and out the other. You want to reflect on this and worship your way through God's word. I, I think it's fair to say, like, as Christians, don't we all kind of like talking about love? Like, yeah, yeah, we like to talk a lot about love. It's a lot of talking about it, but that's not just what Jesus is saying here. It is that, but it's a lot more than that. So, so think about it like this. I have been married to Carrie for 22 years. Praise God. I married way out of my league, and there should be a ton of amens happening right now, okay? 22 years. What if, though, I only told Carrie that I loved her? What if I never actually showed her that I loved her? If I never demonstrated my love to Carrie, but I talked a lot about it, you would have every right to wonder, does Mike actually love Carrie? That's this kind of love. It's a demonstrated love. Jesus went to the cross kind of love. Or parents, a lot of your kids are in service today, again, which is awesome. Love seeing all the kids in here. If we as parents, and I'm writing this with you, if we say we love our kids, but we don't demonstrate that in biblical ways, do we actually love them? These are the, the edges of this that cut on this new commandment that should do something inside of us. So just like Jesus is saying here, this real special kind of love is a proven, demonstrated, sacrificial kind of love. So again, many people like to talk about loving one another, and that's not bad. It's not bad at all. There's like tons of podcasts and books and conferences. And that's cool. That's great. But that's incomplete. If all it is is talking about the special kind of love, it's not in line with this new commandment Jesus gives us that we're to love fellow Christ followers. Our love has to be in step with the gospel, a love that lays its life down in view of the cross. That's the nature of this love that Jesus is giving us as his new command here. One of my uh, favorite Christians that have gone before us is the good doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and there should be a quote here. Listen to what Dr. Lloyd-Jones says. How easy it is to fall in love with loving instead of actually loving. Isn't that true? Like, doesn't that resonate with you? Really easy to fall in love with loving, thinking about it, talking about it, but not actually loving. 
So I want to encourage us as a church family this week, this, like this is a heavy text in some ways, right? But it's also really life-giving. I want to encourage us in your daily time with the Lord to pray about this, to talk with God about this. What does this kind of love for other Christians you're commanded to have look like in your life? And how can you grow in this? Okay, the call isn't perfection. It's progress in view of the cross because we have Jesus inside of us and his love should overflow in and through our lives. So one practical way this can apply to you, and I got uh, Carrie and Bethany's permission to share this first. One way we can love one another at GBC, and there are a multitude of ways, but one way we do that is through children's ministry. And there's actually a real-time need, a tangible need for a few more committed adult volunteers in children's ministry. So I want to like leave that with you, throw that out there as you're thinking and praying about that this week. If the Lord were to stir in you a desire to serve in that way, that's an awesome way to love one another. You don't have to do that, but that's one practical way you can love one another in this particular local church family is by serving through children's ministry. And if that interests you, there's an upcoming meeting on August 31st. You can go for that and hear uh, Carrie and Bethany share more about the vision for children's ministry. So again, the good doctor, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he diagnoses that we like, we fall in love with loving rather than actual love. And that's probably true for all of us if we're being honest in some way. But this command, this kind of love Jesus commands here is a love that's so clear, it's so different, it's so distinct, it's so compelling that it confronts the unbelieving world with the reality of who Jesus is. Okay, and that's the last thing we're going to see in our text here from verse 35. We're going to see just how important this new commandment is. It's not optional. Our third movement in the text, verse 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another in this kind of way. So we can't miss this. We can't miss it. What's the one huge word in verse 35? Like what just jumps off the screen behind me or the, the page of God's word in front of you? It's if, isn't it? Like that's a huge word in this verse in light of the new commandment. So much hangs on the word if. If Christians love one another just as Jesus has loved us, then all people will know that we are Jesus' disciples full stop. Whoa. What did Jesus just say? Then all the world would have a reason to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That's what's happening right here. But again, the if. But if we don't love fellow Christians in this kind of way, then the world has a justifiable reason to believe the gospel isn't really true and that we're not really Jesus followers. We can't escape this if. You can't dilute it. I've tried this week. You can't get away from it. You have God's word on it. This if is in God's word and it really matters in view of the new commandment. So again, there's a gravity to this. There's a weight to it. If we don't love other Christians, Jesus is saying this. He's giving non-believers a right to judge whether or not we're Christians and whether or not the gospel's true. Like, 
this is real love. It's not optional. It's not Sunday school. Yeah, I graduate from this. No, you never graduate from this. That's what Jesus is saying here. That the importance of the new commandment is critical. And if we're being honest, this is kind of frightening, isn't it? Like, my loving fellow Christians matters in this kind of way. Wow. If my lack, if your lack of sacrificial, demonstrated love for other Christians, that could give someone a reason not to believe the truth claims of the gospel. And again, I'm not making that up. That's right in the pages of scripture right in front of you. So each of us should be asking as you're thinking about this this week, as you're praying through it, do people know you're a disciple of Jesus by how you love other Christians? Not just by what you know, but by how you love other Christians. Do your non-Christian friends, co-workers, neighbors, classmates, do they know you're a Christian by how you love other Christians? Jesus is saying here, if you don't have this kind of love, they're not going to know. Like, again, that gives us pause. Only Jesus, so in light of this, is heavy, right? But that's what's so wonderful and beautiful of the context that this new commandment is given. It's given in view as Jesus is on his way to the cross. Only Jesus perfectly accomplishes what he commands us to do, right? And didn't he perfectly accomplish loving all of his followers by going to the cross and rising from the dead and someday returning in glory, right? So we must let Jesus' sacrificial love of the cross work on our unloving hearts as we're forced to deal with the weight and the gravity and the reality of the if in verse 35. So I want to encourage you, if we're taking this seriously, that this should drive us to the cross, there should be impulses of confession and repentance that are happening because uh, maybe I'm the only one in this room, but I don't consistently love other Christians in this kind of way. So it should do something to us, right? It should drive us in repentance to Jesus. So as you're thinking about this, what you're called to, but that gap to how we actually live, let it drive you to the cross. Confess and repent of your lack of love for other Christians and maybe when you're thinking about that, there's even someone's face that comes to mind. Confess and repent of that and trust in the fullness of the gospel to cover your sin and engulf yourself in the love of God like John Newton shared with us earlier. And I just want to say uh, here briefly as we move towards a close, if you're here in this room and you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, first, like we always say at Gresham Bible Church, we're really glad you're here church is the best place to investigate who Jesus is. And so maybe for you, this message to love other Christians like this, maybe it strikes your ear a little different way, right, than for those who have trusted Jesus. And if that's you today, I just want to um, encourage you to charge you to consider the perfect love of Jesus. Maybe the imperfect love of Christians towards Christians has been a hurdle for you, okay? I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, to focus on the perfect love of Jesus because it's only in him that your longings to be fully known and fully loved are ever really going to be satisfied, right? That's the perfect love of Jesus. And then Gresham Bible Church, as one of your elders, uh, as I've been thinking individually about this text and then corporately for us as a church family, it gives me so much joy 
and praise God, I think we're a healthy, loving church. That glory to God, that is all his doing. None of us should take credit for that. So when this sits on you, please don't hear, wow, Mike really scolded us today, right? It's supposed to be the weight of God's word. Let it sit on us. But for us as a church family, the encouragement, the charge is to excel still more in this, to cultivate this kind of gospel love for other Christians. How awesome would it be if the non-Christians in and around our city, maybe even some of these places we're going to serve with our other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on August 20th, hint, hint, sign up, right? Maybe we can adorn the gospel with how we love one another like that. Maybe there's some non-Christians in your life who you're going to give them a plausibility structure for the gospel. You know, Jesus could be true because of how I see Christians love each other. That's the kind of stuff that should be happening here that want to encourage us with as a church family. So, last thing. As we move to a close, I want us to see this new commandment, like lift up the hood and see how it's working because it builds on each other. Just as Jesus loved us, we're called to love one another. And again, by this, all people will know that we're Jesus' disciples or not. So I want to land this for us like as a church in a distinctive kind of way, a takeaway. So at Gresham Bible Church, we like to talk a lot about, and I pray we're going to keep talking a lot about this, but not just talk, live it. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture. That's what's happening here. We believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Praise God. As God's word says again, grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. Yes and amen. That's gospel doctrine. And, not or, and, like that continues into how you live your life. In gospel culture as a church. How we actually live in real relationships with real fellow Christians, real fellow brothers and sisters in Christ gospel doctrine, and gospel culture. And our passage today shows us that gospel doctrine and gospel culture, again, it's not like just an inward focus. Wow, all GBC cares about is loving each other. They don't have a heart for the world. You know, there's the holy huddle, all that kind of stuff. Not at all. What does God's word say? We adorn the gospel. Our mission as Christians is about Jesus, community, and mission gospel doctrine and gospel culture fuel the mission by this all people will know that you're jesus's disciples with how we love one another so again think about it in three different categories verses like 31 and that half of 34 just as i've loved you that's jesus that's the amazing love of the gospel in jesus and then there's community how we love one another as christians and then it's mission then it's by this the world will know that Jesus is real. So I hope like this, honestly, like it lights your soul on fire, like you've just been hooked up to a battery. Like how you love one another as Christians, as Gresham Bible Church, adorns the gospel and points people to Jesus. So it's Jesus, community, mission. They all work together. That's what's happening here in our text. So as we close... I want to leave us with a quote from Francis Schaeffer. I don't know who's familiar with Francis Schaeffer. Uh, he uh, died in the early 80s. He was a theologian and philosopher. He, he like had a prophetic just ability to see the direction that culture and the church was going. 
he, he could see ahead of his time of the post-Christian culture we find ourselves in now. In reflecting on that, Dr. Schaefer, he, he has this big kind of like long-form article uh, where he talks about the marks of the Christian. And he talks about how our community as Christians is in itself an expression and a declaration of the truth and beauty of the gospel. And this is what Dr. Schaefer says. He calls this our final apologetic. We should have an intellectual apologetic, gospel doctrine. It is likewise the Christian's task to be able to give an honest answer to an honest question. Yet unless true Christians show observable love to each other, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen, even when we give proper answers. We must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gives is the observable love of true Christians for Christians. Wow. So this new commandment to love one another is the final apologetic for individual Christians and for the church. Whoa. That's what's happening here in the new commandment that we're called to love one another. So I want to I leave you with an encouragement and a prayer for us as a church. I would ask you to be praying for yourself, for your brothers and sisters in Christ here at GBC, that we're this kind of church. Because we have a tremendous opportunity in our cultural moment, in our context, in 2022, in a world that feels like it's spinning apart, right? Where so many people are just looking for chances to cancel each other for whatever reason. We're in an anxious age. Think about if us as a church family could live into this final apologetic. If we really loved one another and other Christians like what Jesus is calling us to. Think about how that would shine in our day and age with the backdrop, backdrop of our current moment. So this call by Jesus, this command by Jesus to love one another, we have an amazing opportunity to be about this for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel, and for our own joy. Like that is what John 13 verses 31 through 35, that's the love one another that's happening here that I hope is an encouragement to you. I pray it's a charge to you, that it's a prayer for us to live into this and be about this. So by God's grace and for God's glory, may we love one another as Jesus has loved us so that the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus. So please bow your heads and let me pray for us. Father, we praise you that your word always accomplishes the purposes for which you send it. We praise you for your demonstrated love on the cross. Lord, if there are any here today that haven't yet trusted in Jesus, I pray that you will draw them to yourself by your spirit, take out their loveless heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh to trust and follow Jesus. Lord, I pray you will increase and cultivate our love for one another May we abide in your love and faithfully adorn the gospel to a watching world. Father, direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.